Psalm 123, a song of ascent. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maidservant look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I want to invite uh, my friend Ryan Armstrong uh, up to preach the word of God with us today. So uh, if you haven't met Ryan, uh, Ryan is a church planting, a church planter in Leesburg, and uh, you're getting ready to start your services uh, in the beginning of November. Is that right? 25th, we'll have a uh, preview service. Okay, October 25th, they're going to have a preview service. And so I've known Ryan for several years, um, and uh, Ryan's also a seminary classmate with Pastor Josiah, and. Um, and so uh, just getting to know you, uh, church planting with Grace Alive, did an apprenticeship uh, with Grace Alive, a residency there. And uh, I'm excited to have you preaching the word of God for us today. I'm grateful um, for your investment into our church this morning. I'm grateful for your friendship in my life. And uh, we're, we're expecting God to, to use this in a powerful way. So thanks, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. To Ryan. All right. I wonder if that's like two wrongs, so I'll make it right. But, uh, amen. So I'm glad to be with you. I want to, uh, you know, welcome those who are online and those of you who are here in person. It's always an honor to preach God's word. And so without any further ado, we are in Psalms uh, 123, joining you in your series songs on the road to renewal. Um, this psalm is actually... Uh, part of a collection of 15 psalms, if you've been uh, following this series, uh, known as the Psalms of Ascent. And these psalms were usually uh, chanted or recited by uh, Hebrew pilgrims traveling on their way to Jerusalem uh, to worship uh, during the annual festivals that were happening uh, every year. And so on their way to Mount Zion and uh, the temple uh, steps, they would recite these psalms. And so Psalm 123, where we are today, is actually a psalm focused on a crisis or distress um, or oppression experienced by an individual or community. And the psalm explains the crisis uh, to God and asks for help. It's sometimes uh, known as the oculus sperans or the eyes of hope. This morning, I believe there's a word uh, for us as we dive into this text. It's been read into your hearing. I want us to pray just to uh, prepare our hearts to hear from the Lord. Gracious God, we thank you for this opportunity to uh, stand before your people, to gather with your people all throughout this globe and uh, throughout uh, Central Florida today. God, we thank you for this ministry, what you've accomplished through this ministry, and I pray that you would continue, God, to guide and direct them as they seek to be a beacon of hope and a gospel 
uh, outpost in this community. We thank you and praise you. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our strength and our redeemer. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. And amen. So it was in 1878 when William Booth's Salvation Army was beginning to make its mark. Men and women from all over uh, the world began to enlist. One man who had uh, once dreamed of becoming a bishop crossed the Atlantic from America to England to enlist. His name was Samuel Gringle. He left a fine pastoral job and joined Booth's army. But at first, General Booth accepted his services reluctantly and grudgingly, uh, saying to Gringle, uh, you've been your own boss too long. And in order to enlist humility into Gringle, uh, uh, Booth put him in charge of cleaning boots for the trainees. And discouraged, Bringle uh, said to himself, Have I followed my own fancy across the Atlantic in order to black boots? And then in a vision, he saw Jesus bending over uh, the feet of a rough, unlettered fisherman. And he whispered to himself, Lord, you wash their feet. I will black their shoes. When we think about it, it's service that he was enlisting in. It's hard to serve others. Um, it's even harder to serve others with pure motives. You've been there, I'm sure. Um, you've served someone because you're trying to get something back from the other person. Many of us um, go through the motions of serving others. But it was the famous African-American tennis grand slam legend Arthur Ashe who said, true heroism is remarkably sober, very undramatic. It is not the urge to surpass all others at whatever cost, but the urge to serve others at whatever cost. And as you're journeying on the road to renewal, the question I have for us this morning is, how can we be renewed so that we serve others well? How can we be renewed so that we serve others well? I think one of the main things that we'll see in this text that will help us and that we can take away from this this morning is that my ability to see God rightly will impact how I serve others sacrificially. Say that again, my ability to see God rightly will impact how I serve others sacrificially. So the text shows us three primary ways to answer this question on how we can be renewed to serve others well. The first thing we see in verse 1 is we have to have a heavenly perception. A heavenly perception. He says, to you I lift up mine eyes, O you enthroned in the heavens. You see, in lifting his eyes, he is acknowledging two things. He's acknowledging that God is God and that he is not. That God is God and that he is not. It's safe to say that how you see God says a lot about who you think he is. Some people see God as a, a bully who's just uh, taking their lunch money on a daily. Some people see God as this cruel dictator who is... Um, out to get them, making life excruciating and unbearable. 
Some have this uh, Jedi perception of God that he's this overwhelming force to be tapped into so that he gives them power uh, over the dark side. But the truth of the matter is we need to recognize that the Psalter does here that he is enthroned in the heavens. He sees God as high and above all rulers and authorities of the earth. I love what Eugene Peterson writes when he says about this. He says that if God is worth our attention at all, he must be a God we can look up to. A God we must look up to. But that's just it. You see, oftentimes you and I want a God we can look down on. We want a God we can control. A God we can manipulate, if you will. A God that we can mold in our image and in our likeness. But a God we can control is no God at all. Amen? Psalm 115 and 3 says that our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And so lifting up his eyes, the psalmist to the one enthroned in heaven is to look past anyone and anything else. It is to gaze upon the one who has all power, it is to approach him with the reverence he deserves. C.S. Lewis recognizes that God should be approached with reverence, and he uh, had a way of capturing it in his best-selling uh, children's classic, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when Mr. Beaver tells Susan that Aslan who is the ruler of Narnia, is a great lion, and she's shocked because she's thinking and assuming that Aslan is a man. And she tells Mr. Beaver, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. She asks Mr. Beaver, is Aslan safe? Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. God is the king, and he is good. He's the king, and he's good, and this is how we must see him. But to say that God is enthroned in the heavens does not necessarily mean that he is distant uh, in terms of geography. Uh, it is, however, an awareness that he's ruling and he's reigning as Lord and king of all. And when the psalmist needs renewal in his situation, he appeals to the only one who can give it to him, to the king. The question we need to ask ourselves today is, what am I looking at? Who am I looking at? In the midst of all that we're going through, who is it that you're looking at? Far too often we get stuck looking at ourselves, looking at our circumstances, and, up, and, and, and our focus gets hijacked by the reality of what we're involved in and what we're involved and who we're involved uh, in it with. And if you were to look at 2020 and uh, see all that is, um, you know, uh, vying for our attention and vying for our focus, there's so much going on. 2020 is like uh, the, the, the loved one you know who tries to cook or bake cookies for the first time and uh, it isn't good and then after tasting it you have that kind of half smirk smile as if to say good try. 2020 it's been rife with sickness 
through this pandemic, we've seen politics issues and personal issues that we've run into. So there's a lot that's been going on vying for our attention. And in the midst of all these distractions, we are called in this psalm to lift our eyes up to the one enthroned in the heavens. That's important because many people are looking to the earth for answers only heaven can supply. Looking to people will likely disappoint us. Looking to yourself was likely to uh, disappoint you because if you could have gotten yourself out of the problem in the situation, you probably would have done it by now. No, we must look beyond people. We must look outside of ourselves. Upward, looking only to God will suffice. God is in control, but here's the thing. He's not just in control, he's also a God who cares and who is compassionate. And he reminds us of this in 1 Peter 5 and 7 where he says, cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you. You can trust this morning that when you look up, he's also looking down with care and compassion and he's concerned about you. Maybe I can you know, hear some of you saying, well, I don't feel like that today. Um, you may be feeling pretty overwhelmed by the weight of your current situation. The writer here is as well, and he's giving us a clue as to where we should look, even in the midst of hardship. And you may be wondering what uh, this has to do with serving others. It, it, it has everything to do with serving others, because until you see God rightly, you will never serve others sacrificially. It begins with how you see him, how we perceive him to be. It's in adjusting our eyes that we then adjust our hearts, which manifests itself in adjusting of our hands to serve God and to serve others. So how can we be renewed so that we serve others well? The second thing we must do and must have is a humble position. So we have a heavenly perception, but we also have a humble position. In verse 2, he says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of the maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Salter here, he's now shifting and making a comparison of a servant to his master and a, a, a maidservant to her mistress. And a servant here is just another word for a slave. And when we think about uh, being a slave in America, we often have very negative pictures that come to our mind. And we as Americans are uh, all about our freedom, so we say. We, we don't like the idea of being enslaved to anyone. But the truth of the matter is everyone is a slave to someone. Question is, who's your master? Who's your master? It was in the 1985 um, uh, picture, The Last Dragon, produced by Barry Gordy of Motown Records, that uh, Leroy Green, the, the main character who is infatuated uh, with martial arts, he is a Bruce Lee fan. In fact, his nickname on the, the movie is Bruce Leroy. 
Leroy is on a quest to find the master so that he can achieve the final level of martial arts mastery known as the globe. And in his quest, he, he, he finds love, but he also has to defend himself against his arch enemy whose name is Shonuf, the Shogun of Harlem. And in this final fighting scene between uh, Leroy and Shonuf, Shonuf is gaining the upper hand and, and he's repeatedly asking Leroy as he's beating him, as he's uh, taking him, who's the master? And just when all hope seems to be lost and that Leroy is going to be defeated, he discovers that he's reached the final level and becomes the master and Leroy begins to glow. And Shonuf asks him one more time, who's the master? Leroy responds, I am. He goes on to defeat Shonuf. Well, many times this is how you and I can respond to life when the circumstances ask us in our life, who's the master? Many times we tend to respond, I am. Thinking that we are somehow in control. You see, because of sin, we've turned our backs on God and we've transferred our allegiance, if you will. And as a result, we have become slaves to sin. And sin simply is the thoughts, the words, the actions that are contrary to God. They have become our master. And no one, the Bible says, can serve two masters. The point this is the point of Paul's question in Romans 6 and 16 when he asks, Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? See, you're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. As a result of sin, though, we, we've been deceived into thinking that we're not actually enslaved, but really, those of us who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ are slaves to sin apart from Christ. And it's become hard for us to see the slaves that we really are. But as the people of God, this is exactly who we are. This is exactly who we are called to be as God's servants. The only difference between uh, the sinner who is in his unrepentant state and the believer who is in his regenerated state is and who the master is. And the truth is that while this servant's eyes are on his master, we see that the master's eyes were on the servant. The old hymn we used to sing in the church that I grew up in started, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply, staying within, sinking to rise no more. But the master, amen, of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters he lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me. It's the master's love that has lifted us from the depth of sin to the shore of salvation. And where we once viewed servanthood from a worldly perspective as humiliation, now in Christ it's our exaltation. Because in God's economy the way up is down, 
and the way down is really up. If you don't believe me, Jesus shows us as much in John 13, verses 12 through 17. He says these words, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus, the one who deserved all the glory, the one who deserved all the praise, the one who uh, could have had angels come down and serve him at a command. He is taking the posture of servant to disciples, washing their dirty feet, a, 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 an action that was uh, reserved only for uh, the lowest of the low. And Jesus is humbly taking the posture of one who washes and serves his disciples. Jesus is the Lord, and if he's the master of your life, then serving others is part of what he commands you and I to do. It's expected that we serve. To say I serve Jesus while uh, denying service to others is actually a contradiction. So the psalmist says, as a servant, our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. He goes from a personal appeal to a communal one. They are watching and awaiting his command and they watch his hand to make sure to respond to his directive. And it was important in that culture in that time that, that servants and maid servants kept their eyes on their masters and mistresses very closely out of fear of death. If the master uh, or the mistress gave a command and the servant or the maid servant did not see the command because they weren't paying attention to the master, then they could basically been punished even up to death. Their lives were in the hand of the master. Their, 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 their provision was in the hand of the master. Everything was in the hand of the master. But can you imagine? You and I live like our lives depend on the hand of the master. How that might change our plans. How that might change our decisions, our goals, our, our future. The way we treated others who disagreed with us might change. The way we talk to people who uh, may be different, the way we live will reflect uh, the way Christ lived if we truly live as if our lives depended on the hand of the master. Truth is, your life is in his hand if you have confessed with your mouth, believed in your heart that Jesus is 
Lord, that, that God raised him from the dead. If you've repented and you've turned from your sin and you've turned towards Christ, you are in his hand. And the blessed promise that we have as those who are in his hand is that we can never be snatched from his hand. Renewal that leads to serving others comes through having a heavenly perception. It comes through having a humble position, knowing that you've been served by Christ. And so as you've been served by Christ, you've been saved to serve. But it also comes through a hopeful petition, a hopeful petition. Verses 3 through 4, we see he says, Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. And looking at the master, he appeals on behalf of himself and his people for mercy. For mercy. What is mercy? Here, mercy carries this idea of looking on someone with favor. It actually reveals the relationship that the Lord has with his people. Ephesians 2, Paul reminds us that God is rich in mercy and, and he showed the wealth of these riches by making us alive even when we were dead in sin. But why? Why, why do we see him uh, petition the Lord for mercy. Well, I think it's clear that, that they're being treated with contempt and scorn by prideful and oppressive people, and they're fed up. They're fed up. He says, we've had more than enough contempt. Contempt is to be despised, is to be uh, rejected, is to be hated. The Psalter feels beat down, he feels unloved, he feels unappreciated. They've reached the limit. They feel like they can't take it anymore. What about you? Have you been to a point where you've been on the brink, on the breaking point? Have you ever reached a point where you've been fed up? I'm talking so fed up that you walk into your job and you tell your boss, I, I didn't come here to work today. I'm so upset. Some of your situations can be very challenging. When you're ready to burst from the scene and scream, enough. But in these moments, the Psalter is showing us uh, what to do with these emotions. He shows us a God that we can approach in humility. He shows us a God we can approach with hopeful expectation that we'll receive mercy. The Hebrew, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews in four, uh, chapters 4 and 16, he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Throughout church history, one of the most prayed prayers was that of Kyrie Eliezer, which means, Lord, have mercy. 
And I don't know about you this morning, but I need the Lord's mercy this morning. I need the Lord's grace this morning. Here in this passage, the hope laced within this passage is in the expectation of his petition. The petition is made to God, who is our heavenly father, and he desires to give his children good gifts. Eugene Peterson also comments, and he says, if God is God at all, he must know more about our needs than we do. If God is God at all, he must be more in touch with the reality of our thoughts, our emotions, our bodies than we are. If God is God at all, he must have more comprehensive grasp of the interrelations in our families and communities and nations than we do. In other words, God understands. God understands. And who better to go to uh, than the God who understands? And when it comes to being treated with contempt, we must consider Jesus, God the Son. He was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows, Isaiah tells us, acquainted with grief. He endured rejection from those he loved most. He was lied on. He was unjustly convicted of a crime he didn't commit. He was sentenced to death on a cross made from a tree he created. And he was mocked by the mouths of the very men that he made. He was beaten and beloved, he was ultimately killed. But thank God he overcame all of that in his glorious resurrection. And as we find ourselves in life's difficult circumstances, we can be confident that God understands. That we can expect with hope that he hears us, that he sees us, that he knows us, that he is able to do something about it. Because if he can't do it, nobody can. We know. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or imagine according to the power at work in us. So how does this help us on our road to renewal and serving others? Well, I think it's simply this. It means that when you know where to take your burdens, you can serve others by showing them where they can take theirs as well. You know where to take your burdens, you leave them on the altar at the feet of God. Knowing that He cares for you, you can lead others to that same place of worship and altar and sacrifice them and leave them there knowing that He is waiting to meet you and care for you. As I go to my seat, there's three things that we can take away as a means of application this week as we... Go into our week. One, recognize God is above you. Readjust your focus on Him and not yourself, not your circumstances. Yeah, they're, 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 they're real. They are, they are hard. They are difficult. But we know the one who is in control of it all. We know the one who is with us in the midst of what we're going through. 
we need to readjust our focus. Number two, we need to realize God has served you in Christ. So that you've been uh, served by Christ, seek to serve others for Christ. So once you realize that God has served you in Christ, you should seek to serve others in, for Christ. And then number three, rest in hope that God has your best in mind. That he saves his best for those willing to be last. Towards the end of his life, um, Albert Einstein removed the portraits of two scientists, Newton and Maxwell, from his wall. He replaced those portraits with Gandhi and um, Schweitzer, Switzer. And Einstein explained that it was time to replace the image of success with the image of service. As we look to the cross, brothers and sisters, and find the ultimate image of service as Jesus lays his life down for us, may we exchange worldly success for godly service as we serve others in the world by laying our lives down for them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you this morning that Even in the midst of all that we face, in the midst of all our difficulties, in the midst of all our hard circumstances, God, that um, you are in the heavens, you are enthroned in the heavens, you are ruling and reigning even now over every single aspect of our lives. And as we readjust our focus and our eyes towards you, God, may we get a glimpse of your glory. And may you change us even in the midst of our circumstances, even if the circumstances do not change. God, I pray that we would be transformed and that we would be conformed daily into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would realize our uh, humble position, God, as your servants and that we would give our lives because you have come and given your life for us. Even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. God, I pray that you would move us to give our lives for others. And then, Lord, I pray that we would have a hopeful petition as we come to you expecting you to hear us. As a good father who is concerned with the lives of his children, we know that we can find mercy and grace to help us in our time. Need and God, we thank you. And we bless your name. For you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.